0: Imagine That Studios presents... Tales from the Archives, Volume 5. The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. That was a delightful Siamese lunch. Yes, I do love food from far off lands. Uh, if you'll excuse me. Uh... Well, uh, uh, uh... Hold on. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Um... <sighs> I do love you, darling, but what is this strange love affair you nurture for spicy food? Such cuisine reminds you of what a joy it is to be alive. Mm, indeed. And there is a certain tingle to the food from that region. And speaking of Siam, I just found another file concerning Agent Alvi and Vaelin. Oh, the one that brought in that strange swan feather to the archives. The very one. Such a wonderful person, Agent Alvi, as I hear. Alvi always did come back with the best stories. And the most interesting artifacts. Hmm. But, Wally, this feather is black. I say, that is quite a deep shade. No sign of an ingredient? That is a most definitive black. Oh, I am most anxious to return to Siam. And the mystery deepens, for this case concerns adventures in Japan. Oh, the land of the rising sun. Then I will order sushi for dinner tonight. Extra wasabi on the side. Fine, then. I'll just fetch another water.
1: Calamity of Crows, by P.J. Schneider, a.k.a. Piper J. Drake. A short story from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Universe. Fall, 1864. The wind whipped past Agent John Alvey's face, prompting him to take good hold of his hat. The winds are in our favor, sir. The airship captain strode to Alvey's side at the railing, gaze following his own out to skies around them. And they have been since we left Siam. Is that surprising you, Captain. Alvi couldn't prevent the grin of boyish delight. Truth be told, yes. The captain laid a hand on the railing. This is a good ship, one of the Queen's fastest, and yet, on past voyages to Japan, we've put on quite a bit more steam to make the kind of time we've made on this particular mission. The sun glinted off gold and white. A flutter of feathers announced his travel companion as she came in for a neat landing on deck. Yes, well, we do have an unusual consultant on this particular mission, captain. Agent Alvi turned to watch Philin settle her feathers. The Kinadi, the bird princess, must plan to alight for another foray because she did not set aside her wings and tail immediately as she had when she'd initially boarded the airship. Aye, that we do. The captain's voice filled with a wonderment Agent Alvi still shared, even having met the lady previously. If I hadn't run several missions for the Ministry in the past, I'd have not believed my eyes, truth be told. Even then, none of you agents have brought one of your... Allies on board. The lady Fylin can offer valuable insight to the current predicament in Japan. Agent Alvy didn't pursue his point further, not when the captain raised his hands in acquiescence. Though in truth, field agents of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences like himself more often investigated and neutralized mysterious objects of unusual qualities, as opposed to beings. Even for the Ministry, having such an ally as Fylin was outside standard operating procedures. Fortunately. The Ministry was accepting of the unorthodox. It rather went without saying, considering the situation field agents often faced. I'll not be questioning your actions, Agent Alvy. You have been a good representative of the Ministry to work with to date. The captain shook his head. Just see that you don't blow up my airship. Felin approached them, raising a single, delicately arched eyebrow in question. It was a submersible last time, wasn't it? The captain cleared his throat. throat. Likely to cover his surprise and worry, and give the canary a respectful nod, lady, I trust you enjoyed a good um flight. Agent Alvey wouldn't begrudge the captain the envy in his tone. The airship captain loved the skies, but even in an airship, the man couldn't match the experiences Phelan must have flying their own. Clear skies, Captain. Somehow she managed to project her words over the winds while still maintaining the soft, gentle tone characteristic of the Ladies of Siam. But there are storm clouds ahead. Are you worried, lady? The captain's brows drew together. Phelan hesitated. The snowy white wings at her hips flared out and resettled. If we are in my homelands, I would say Ramasoon was searching the skies for Mechela. It would be expecting lightning chased by thunder. But the storm clouds I saw were worrisome. Not natural and not familiar, either, there is a heavy silence over the land of the Samurai, hiding those who do not wish to be easily seen. Silence followed her troubled words. Agent Alvi didn't know what to say, and neither he imagined did the captain when you returned to Siam, Agent Alvi, I was surprised. The corners of Helen's mouth turned up with a wry smile, even more so when you presented me with a most interesting feather. It seemed a rather good idea. A British merchant steamer entered the Shimano Strait last year and was fired upon. They heard nothing, saw nothing, and had no warning to speak of. The winds had gone unnaturally still, the captain reported. They were almost dead in the water until they could bring the steam engines up and get underway again, taking fire the entire time. Avi reached into his inner coat pocket and produced the feather in question. Black this time in a distinctly different shape from the swan feathers stored in the ministry archives, belonging to none other than Faolin herself. These were strewn across the forward deck. Faolin nodded. Karasu ga naku, tokyoji ga aru. The calling of a crow passages some calamity. Agent Alvey cocked his head to the side. I hadn't realized you spoke Japanese. Felin waved her hand towards the sky. Only a few old phrases picked up on the wind. Living among mortals as I do, I found it wise to be aware of their superstitions. The captain leaned forward to study the feather, his hands conspicuously behind his back. I know several of the captains who've taken steamers near the Shimanasaki Straits since the first trouble started. Word passes among sailors, be they airmen or seamen, and those winds dying out are no coincidence. Every time a ship rides the waters around the straits, they are left to the currents until they can get underway via steam power. They come under fire, but there's nothing to be seen on the shores where the enemy cannons would be. Uncanny, it is. Airship crews give the airspace over the Straits a wide berth. Her Majesty's minister to Japan presses our allies for a joint military strike to reopen the Straits, but with things as they are. Too many human lives could be lost. How can you fight what you cannot see? How can you advance when the winds do not carry you forward? And what will you do if the same winds turn against you? Feilin's smile had faded away as she looked out to the horizon. Alvi could see the line of darkening sky. Those feathers came from something more than a mere crow, and your ministry is right to believe supernatural forces are at play. A shiver ran down Agent Alvi's spine. Graceful as she was, Lady Feilin was a warrior and a creature of legend. If she was worried, this preliminary scouting mission could turn up more than he'd bargained for. It's glad we are to have you with us, Lady. The captain cleared his throat. throat. You've given our missions speed we might not have had otherwise. With the age of technology upon us, my king wishes goodwill between the legends and the mortals without the sharp edge of fear keeping us at odds. Villain's voice had grown distant, and Avi wasn't certain she was speaking to either the captain or him anymore. Her attention had turned inward. In times of peace, memories of strife fade away, and it is better to fade into memory and live on in the alternative. Are you ready, Agent Alvy? Yes, I think so. Alvy made a final check on the straps for his gear. This wasn't his first time using the gliding equipment, but his previous drops had been during the light of day. He found the currently clear, star-filled night sky both compelling and intimidating. And so was his companion. She'd exchanged her rather distinctive traditional dress for a simple concealing shirt and pants in the style of the Palace Guards of Siam, Perhaps a startling change, with her hair tied back and contained in a simple bun, she could almost pass for a young boy. But her clothes weren't the main reason most of the shipmen, or even the good captain, were stealing looks in her direction. Phelan tilted her head to one side, then the other, the way a raptor would when examining possible prey. Is something bothering you? Avi cleared his throat. throat. Perhaps his line of thought was rather too transparent. Not at all, lady. Silence, and the rustle of swan feathers. Ah, well, the truth then, though it was of small concern in the overall scheme of things, but it was always wise to choose his words with care. To be honest, I'm not familiar with the weaponry of your culture. I tend to prefer the arms provided by my Ministry's Research and Development Department. Ah, Violin stood waiting on the railing of the airship, her wings spread wide as she bounced on the balls of her feet, As if she hadn't a concern for being so high above the hard earth. She held swords in each hand. The slender blades each had a round cross-section grip with a long, gently curving, single-edged blade. Matching sheaths were strapped to her back, the harness arranged for quick access without fouling her wings. I find Song Mui more versatile when facing unknown situations. Ah! Alvi considered her pronunciation and broke down the direct translation based on his limited knowledge of the Siamese language. Mui meant hand, and song was the number two. Da must therefore be the word for the kind of sword she wielded. Simply, and perhaps coarsely translated, sword. Two hands. Well then, rather straightforward. Blades require certain proximity that might not be advisable in some cases, lady. Why get closer to an enemy than one had to? Yes, Willing Da Mui is close, personal. Feilin's gaze remained steadily on him, the weight of ages suddenly adding to its intensity. Instinct froze Alvi where he stood, much the way a mouse might come to a sudden stop in a field in the hopes of evading a raptor's strike. As easy as it was to refer to her as lady and converse as clearly as one could with a fellow human, the Lady Feilin was not human, as it were, in this moment, he was reminded he would do well to remember the difference. Felin was a kinari and a guardian sent by her own sovereign to protect the king of Siam. Her age, her experience, even her exact place of origin were unknown. But she was a warrior with a coat of her own, and she had come with him at his request, leaving her duty to another of her kin while she was away. She looked away then, releasing him from her gaze. I prefer to know whose life I am taking when I strike. It is a choice. Alvy considered her words and his respect grew. He touched his fingertips to the rim of his flight cap and tipped his head. An important consideration, lady. She was still for a moment, impossibly so, before she sheathed her swords in a swift motion. How much practice did it take to do that without having a feel for the sheaths? Quite a bit, Alvy would venture to guess. Years, or decades at least. As Helen had once told him, Kinari were long-lived. We should take advantage of the clear skies, fell motioned motion to the airspace around them. The storm clouds dissipated unexpectedly, and I suspect they can return as quickly. It is the time for action if we are to complete our scouting mission before your allies arrive on their attempted approach from Yokohama. Turning away from the muted light of the main ship's cabin, Alvi pulled goggles over his eyes. His vision was immediately limited peripherally, despite the large diameter of the lenses, but he wasn't worried. The more pressing concern was a lack of ambient light. The entire point of this mission was to search out what couldn't be seen by the light of day from the decks of a ship either in the air or in the water. Touching the large rims of his goggles, he depressed tiny levers on each side until they settled with a definitive click on each side. Goggles for vision in the night? Phelan asked. These are different from the ones you wore last time we met. The chaps in R&D are continually innovating. Alvi found Phylin in the darkness and grinned and didn't try to hide the tinge of pride in his comrades. Lighter weight, sleeker design, though they had to sacrifice some of the ability to see over distances in this set. But these are quicker to adjust if light intensity changes abruptly. Much more practical should we encounter any sudden situations. You do have a variety of fascinating gadgets, Agent Alvi. I look forward to seeing what the rest of your rig can do. The lady turned on the railing to face outward, her wings partly extended. I will meet you in the air. She dove out into the night sky, waiting until she was clear of the ship before she extended her wings to full span. As she caught the air, she turned and banked to swoop under the airship. Well, might as well do away with a countdown then. Alvy climbed onto the railing, thinking himself not nearly as nimble as his companion. Arndy tested this fully before issuing it to me. No reason for concern. Saying so to no one in particular other than himself might have settled his nerves when he'd initially planned the scouting foray. But standing on the edge of an airship far above the Shimaniseki Straits, the reassurance bore repeating, at least for his own peace of mind in the split second before he jumped out to in. Good hunting, agent! Avi returned the salute turned back to the vast emptiness and leaned forward, leaving the rail in a controlled dive. The delicious cool night air rushed by his ears and made his hands tingle as it rushed by faster than anything he'd ever felt before. Trains were slow compared to this. Nervous butterflies blossomed into elated adrenaline as he almost reluctantly began to control the fall. Alvi arched his back to level out, spreading his arms and feet until he found a maintainable position of dynamic stability. Once he was clear of the ship, he reached for the cord at his left shoulder while bringing his left hand in front of his face as discussed with the R&D team to maintain his falling position and gave it a solid jerk. The pack strapped to his back commenced whirring and clicking as a metal frame extended outward. Over the course of several long moments, his downward velocity slowed progressively as the triangle control frame fully extended and the sailcloth deployed. Gliding through the night, he searched the airspace for his companion. She made her presence known before he actually saw her. It was a singular experience, hearing the whisper of soft breezes swirling around him as air currents lifted his glider when there were no land features directly below him to indicate natural elements. The straits were wide, but they'd made their jumps closer to the northern bank. Directly below him was water, and he adjusted his glider's direction to head for the shore. Moonlight shone on pale wings at the far edge of his night vision, but when he turned his head he saw nothing but open air. Looking forward, white flashed again just below him. Gentle laughter whispered on the wind, <laughs> Just so, Agent Alvi, As you are dressed in dark flight leathers with painted machinery to hide your presence in the sky, so too I have my ways of going unseen. Apparently she also had her ways of communicating over the rush of air, He'd have a word with R&D about solving that particular challenge when he returned from this mission. To our left, do you see? fortifications? Again the airbrush passed his ear, carrying her words to him. He scanned the land below, searching. Just as he thought he might have caught sight of something, the wind shifted and yanked his glider upward with a jerk. Watch out, I cannot stop- Balin's voice was drowned out by gust after gust as he was buffeted from all sides. The glider had been made for natural air currents, and the frame strained as a vortex formed around him until a portion of the triangle bent at a sickening angle. All at once, the winds died, and he was falling. He did what he could to lean into the fall, making the best use possible of the side of the glider still remotely functional to slow his descent. But Phelan's voice didn't come to him any longer and the air around him whistled past as he fell without a hint of an upward thermal to allow him to continue gliding. With dubious thanks to his night vision, he was well aware the ground was approaching, far too quickly, and Alvi made his decision. Yanking on two cords at his waist, he disengaged the glider apparatus and shoved it off to one side, clear of him. Extending his arms and legs again to gain more stability as he fell, he tugged on the final cord, the last resort. Silk billowed out from a smaller pack, now exposed on his back, and opened in a half-sphere as it filled with air. Alvi's descent slowed abruptly as his whole body was jarred by the rounded parachute, saving him from an otherwise deadly descent. Not for long, however, as the sharp report of rifles rang out in the night. Well, could have been more wind. Rifles, at least, were of the scientifically explainable variety when one considered forms of attack. Avi tugged in his arms and legs, trying to make himself as small as possible, but his parachute was unfortunately a large target all on its own. Bullets tore through the silk, and the earth rushed towards him again at a nominally less terminal speed. He tried to approach the forced landing with slightly bent knees, chin and elbows tucked as best he could to prevent injury. He let his feet strike the ground first and immediately threw himself sideways to distribute the landing shock sequentially along his feet, side of his calf, side of his thigh, hip and finally the side of his back. As the last of his momentum left him, he rolled to lay flat on his back and take mental stock of his injuries. Bruised, battered to be sure, fortunately nothing seemed broken. He needed to get to his feet then and find cover. Surrender barbarian or die. The threat was delivered as several shadows surrounded him, black shapes in his cracked night vision against the landscape. Apparently his good fortune had limitations. Truly, Agent Alvey made excellent use of his various gadgets. Enemy wind and weaponry had focused on him, yet he'd managed a safe landing, however improbable. She'd given what aid she could, slowing his descent as subtly as possible while remaining concealed from their attackers. It would have wasted the risk he took if she'd revealed herself too soon. Air and water were hers to call, but pitting her power against their as-yet-unmet foe would have defeated the purpose of their mission. She wanted to put a face to her quarry close with him, and let him know the use of forgotten magic in the new world of men would not go unopposed. At the moment, Agent Alvey had the best chance of tempting their adversary into the open. And so she did not interfere in his capture, did not even send a breeze to carry her whispered words to him to assure him he was not alone. Instead, she followed, watched, and waited. His captors had looked for a partner, of course, but they only combed the ground and wouldn't have seen her in the skies even if they'd thought to search them. Interesting, the way humans rarely looked directly above them. Her magic hid her in the winds, regardless. This particular quirk had been an advantage to ambush predators for ages, and tonight, she followed suit. Her trust in Alvi's ability to stay calm under unexpected pressure and her patience were rewarded as his captors took him directly to their fortified camp. She was glad, of course, for the ease of this, but she was worried, too. Simplicity at this stage only meant their task would be all the more complicated as they went along. But then, Agent Alvey may not have agreed with her assessment of simplicity, considering the action he'd had to take to return to ground safely. Presently, he was being brought to the center of camp and seemed able to walk on his own, despite a small limp. She alighted on the center pole of a nearby tent. Now that they had entered the camp, the fortifications were very obvious and the tents were semi-permanent. These men had been here for some time and didn't plan to leave any time soon. Alvi was surrounded, but he remained unfettered for the time being. Good. The gathered men stirred, and a single man strode with confidence toward Alvi as the rest of them made way. What is your name? The man, presumably their leader, came to a stop before Alvi. He had the bearing of a warrior and the armor of a noble. If she had to guess, based on the dress of the men around him. Her power over air gave her the meaning of the words spoken, but his use of Alvi's language rather than Japanese was a surprise. For his part, Alvi stood tall, confident, silent, his expression blank with no sign of surprise. She approved. Showing the other man any reaction would give him unnecessary additional advantage. The leader scowled, even from her distance, Fylin watched his heavy brows draw together. What is your name? Agent John M. Alvey of Her Majesty's Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Alvey's answer was neutral, flat, devoid of warmth or diffidence. A grunt, hm, was the only response. The leader stepped up until he was nose-to-nose with Alvey, then circled her friend as if to study him. Alvey cleared his throat. <clears throat> it was my understanding that it is most rude not to introduce oneself in this country.' The other man barked out a short laugh. "'Ha! We are not concerned with politeness to our prisoners. Our prisoners are not concerned with this either.' Intriguing. Alvy tugged at one cuff of his flight suit, then the other. A pause. The leader strode around to face Alvy again. "'What do you find interesting?' Careful. Her partner was treading a fine line between engaging the leader and angering the other men enough to end their conversation rather abruptly, perhaps to the detriment of Alvi's health. I came here in search of mystery, perhaps power beyond the understanding of mortal men. It is what I do in service to my queen. Alvi raised an eyebrow. I am not certain I have found such things. Ha the other man looked to his men and they all laughed. You have found more than your kind would believe western barbarian forget where they come from and the power sleeping in their land we do not perhaps not but she had sensed no sign of a being like herself a being of the old world whatever was present here it was not alive only powerful and it was carried by the leader well that could be considered both good news and bad i have discovered an encampment of hostiles Alvi must have decided that continued conversation would be of benefit. She was inclined to agree so long as her partner managed the fine balance between goading the man into telling them all and antagonizing the man into hurting Alvi. The label barbarian could potentially be applied, but merely subjectively as a matter of opinion. The leader scowled and his lips moved silently. Perhaps the man was working through what Alvi had said. It could have been too many words delivered too quickly. After a moment, he spit at Alvi's feet. I am Samurai. Do you know what this means, Gaijin? Foreigner? I am Karu, of the Choshu domain. This position was gifted to me for my service to my emperor. Power was rising on the winds. Phelan sensed a gathering, coming to the call of this man as he touted his own prowess. The magic came slowly at first, until the cow brandished an object drawn from his robes and flicked it open. A hand-painted fan, the artwork exquisite. Revealed, the gathering magic came more swiftly, more intensely. This. This was the thing her partner sought. But it was not the only powerful object here. They would need to let the leader get more worked up to reveal his full armament. Alvi, thank goodness, showed no fear. No intimidation. If anything, he appeared bored. They wondered if the expression was a British affectation of some sort. If it was, it was highly effective. The Kano was almost frothing at the mouth to elicit a response from Alvi. This fan was gifted to me, Kaijin, to aid in protecting Japan. As the Kero spoke, the winds began whipping around the encampment. The campfires flared up and the horses tethered to the edges of the fortifications spooked. With it, I have driven the western airships out of the Shimeneseki Straits over and over again. They will never pass while I hold the straits. Felin saw her own chance to move the situation along and left her high perch to glide down to the horses. A few whispered words of calm in the ear of a dark bay won her a new ally. The others she cut loose with an easy strike of one of her Sung songmui. A shout of alarm went up as the horses scattered, all but the bay. Her new friend galloped directly through camp. As the leader and his men turned to face it, shouting a challenge and looking for a human attacker, Felin swooped in behind Alvi and cut him loose. He uses too many words, she whispered to Alvi. He is too proud of what he has wrought. Too right. Alvi quickly rubbed at his arms and legs, stumbling back from the chaos. But the carol caught sight of Alvi and charged forward. You are the first to come this close. You are an example. Combat is not your mission, my friend. villain stepped in front of Alvi smoothly. Watch, be ready, but this moment is mine. Alvi saw the Kero check his momentum as the winds parted and Phelan was revealed. To any of them, she'd simply stepped out of the night air. And, dressed as she was, only Alvi knew her gender for certain. It was the white swan wings spread wide from her hips that had the Karo's attention, and the sound of gilded metal rang out. Phelan had drawn her dab mui, They glinted in the firelight, an elegant blade in each hand. Kaiju! The Kero called out. Monster! You do not frighten me! I have sought out the greater Tengu in my quest to rid Japan of all foreigners. I am blessed. He reached for another bundle tied to his waist then and shook loose a straw cloak of some kind. As he threw it around him, he disappeared from sight. There, Alvi, do you see? The second object of power he has in his possession. You must retrieve them both. Aelin's words came to him whispered on the wind despite the gusts circling them. Seeing or rather, not seeing the second object of power posed a challenge. Alvi didn't waste time trying to spot the leader anymore. Instead, he kept his gaze trained on where the leader wasn't. The Taro's men stood back, their eyes wide with fear as they surveyed Faolin's white wings, and their gazes darted around wildly, trying to spot their leader. It was one thing to face other mortal men, another completely to engage in battle with powers not easily understood. Metal clashed against metal, and sparks briefly revealed the keto as Philin barely deflected an attack. She turned slowly, keeping her own center eyes half closed. she was listening. Avi realized she couldn't see her attacker, but she could hear him two more times. The Kato charged, and his heavy steps gave away his approach. Philin was able to turn his attack back on him. Her movement was fluid, smooth, unearthly. Without the storm winds howling around them and the panicked shouts of the kato's men, an onlooker might think she was moving through the steps of some graceful dance. Even watching as he did, Alvi hadn't realized she'd been shifting her position gradually. Each time the kato had attacked, she'd adjusted her retreat, baited him, confirmed he'd followed with a clash of swords. Not once did the kato draw her blood. Finally, she stood before the largest fire, the logs piled high and the flames dancing higher. The kato let out a shout of victory. Fylin raised her swords again and swept them down at an angle, turning toward the fire at her back as she did. Something new ignited in those flames. A form flailed and the Cato stumbled out of the embers, crying out in pain, the straw cloak destroyed. One object of power, irretrievable. But better it burned than remain in the hands of a man bent on destroying so many others. Aelin closed with the cutter then. She struck his forearm with the flat of her blade and stepped into him, catching his hand with the pommels of both her swords in a levering hold that flipped the fan out of his hand and sent him tumbling to his knees. The winds died. Alvi lunged forward as the fan flipped end over end through the air and caught it. No, the Karo snarled. It is mine. You think I do not have advantage without those things? I still have the favor of the greater Tengu. Power is still mine to call. Alvi eyed the Taro's men warily, but they were still keeping their distance as Philin took up a ready stance between the Kato and Alvi. The Kato shouted words into the night. No sooner were they uttered than they fled from Alvi's memory. The cry of crows grew louder. Fylin backed warily toward Alvi until her wings sheltered him. Mount, what comes now will end this. Dark shadows flapped in the night, but they weren't bats. They darted through the air. Alvi brought up one arm to shield himself as one dove past his ear, but it left him untouched. Instead, they attacked the caro. A hoof stamped next to him, and Alvi regarded a huge bay horse standing next to him. Its eyes were beginning to show their whites. Quickly, go. Alvi didn't hesitate a second time. As the kato began to scream, Alvi mounted the horse and gave the big bay his head. The horse was more likely to know the terrain than he, and he'd trust Vailin to cover their retreat. I must admit, Agent Alvey, I've never in my days sailing airships ever thought to hear a voice in the wind the way I did tonight, the captain shook his head. Safely on the main deck, Alvy chuckled. This night, I've come to understand I rely far too much on what my eyes can see, even after all my years in the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. We are gifted with many senses. Bylin stood on the forward deck, absently stroking the face of the bay. The wise learn to use them all. Aye, the captain agreed. After a moment, he cleared his throat. <clears> throat> I'll just be checking on our return course now. I've uh, reports to write. He left with a lingering glance at Philin and the horse. A horse on the deck of his airship might have been another first to add to the list in this adventure. Alvy thought asking might open up the horse's presence to discussion, and Philin had made it clear she would not abandon her new friend on the shores of the Straits. Alvi supposed she would find a place for it in Siam. But more likely, it was the surreal quality of a winged woman standing there with a dark horse. On an airship. The pair made a beautiful image, lit by moonlight as they were. Perhaps Alvi was becoming too numb to the sight of the fantastic. What were those things at the end? It was the question Alvi's curiosity clung to. Fylin continued to pet the bay in soothing strokes. They were Karasu Tengu, servants of a greater Tengu. This was the first time I've encountered them personally, but they are known to the Kina'i. I see. weariness strained drained Alvi suddenly as the last of his adrenaline left him. Was there anything we could have done to save the man? Guilt weighed on him. Alvi was an investigator by nature. He did not want the life of another man on his conscience. Faelin shook her head slowly and her wings drooped a bit. We do not know what pact the Karo made with the Greater Tengu. There was much pride in his boasts, and perhaps he bargained with more than he had to offer in truth. Or perhaps the Greater Tengu was angered by the destruction of the cloak. Beings of the old war are unpredictable in nature. Alvi continued to watch, Phailen. Yes, I believe that. Sweet bell-like laughter filled the air with silver tones. You have a new object for your archives, Agent Alvi, and a peculiar story to go with it. I'll be interested to see if our paths cross in the future with more interesting adventures. The End Son Rap Fong Ni You have been listening to A Calamity of Crows by P.J. Schneider, a.k.a. Piper J. Drake, This story has been read to you by Matthew J. Drake. That's me. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed.
0: Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order Operation Endgame and The Curse of the Silver Pharaoh. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 3.0 License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org Tales in the Archives, an Imagine That Studios production. I'm Tim Morris, and I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank,
1: Thank you, you for listening. listening.